It is indeed that time of year, believe it or not. Christmas is approaching very quickly, maybe too quickly for some of you. And Advent, <clears throat> traditionally Advent is that time of year when, yes, we do indeed look forward to Christmas, count down the days, we open the window of our Advent calendar, eat the chocolate, and look forward to the special day. But of course, it's also a time when we remember and we're reminded that Jesus is coming back again. That one day soon he will return. And so that's another period of waiting. It's a waiting time. Our sermon series is entitled Learning to Wait. So let's pause and pray once more. Father, please help us uh, this morning as we look at Isaiah, as we begin to work our way through um, certain chapters of this book. We thank you for him, for the word you spoke through him. Thank you that it is true and good and relevant for us today, and will continue to be so until, Lord Jesus, you do indeed return. Father, give us understanding, speak to us clearly, encourage us and challenge us as we head out to live in the light of the Lord. Father, please strengthen me, strengthen my voice, particularly this morning, and help us all to, to hear from you for your glory. Amen. Well, waiting, everybody loves to wait. We now have no problems with waiting, I'm sure. Well, the chuckle gives it away. Of course, no one likes to wait. Waiting is a horrible thing. When it comes to mealtimes, my son is the most impatient person I've ever met. He doesn't understand that he can't have his food right now because it's still in the pot on the stove cooking. But of course, aren't we all just like that in many different ways? We want what we want, and we want it now, is often the thought process that goes through our mind. And so we wait for a bus. We wait for the waiter to bring our meal in the restaurant. We wait to see the dentist. We wait for our house to be sold. Things that we wait for, many of them, but we have little control over when those things will come. When will the next bus come? Oh, of course, two come at the same time. And so we're frustrated. Waiting is difficult. We do get impatient. We get angry. But there are things that we do wait for that we do know when they're going to come. We wait for a baby. We still wait for a baby. We wait for exam results. We wait for our next holiday. We wait for the kettle to boil. We know when these things are going to happen, but they don't happen soon enough. We want them to happen now. What are you waiting for at this moment? Is there anything particularly that you are waiting for in your life? Maybe it's a job. Maybe it's a spouse or a child or a friend. Maybe you're waiting for the end of an illness or the end of a cold like me. Maybe you're waiting for the end of the day, the end of the week. You're waiting for reconciliation to happen with someone you know that you've fallen out with. You're waiting for the salvation of those you love. You're waiting for a time of peace and no war. Waiting for the end of sin in your life. Waiting for heaven. Waiting for the time when Jesus will return. 
Well, as we wait for Christmas and, and celebrate the first coming of Jesus back 2,000 years ago, we also wait for the promised time of his second return, a time when there will be no more waiting for anything because all things will come to completion. There will be no more pain and suffering, no more death, no more war. There will be no more falling out. There will be no more injustice, but there will be peace and harmony. Time when Jesus will come back and he will rule and he will reign on the earth for all eternity. And if we love and trust in the Lord Jesus, then we will be there too with him. And as we go through Isaiah this month, as we think about that last day, let's long for it. Do you long for that time? Do you long and pray for the Lord Jesus to return? Do you, are you waiting for the Lord Jesus? I want to suggest that as we learn to wait in Isaiah, as we see the, the wonderful and glorious things that we do indeed wait for, that it will change. It will change the way that we wait now. It will change the way that we live now as we wait for that final day. Well, Isaiah, Isaiah lived and prophesied in a time after King Solomon, the nation of Israel had divided into two, the northern kingdom, the, the southern kingdom of Judah. The larger northern kingdom of Israel was very soon to be taken over by the Assyrians, and it would be no more. The southern kingdom was delivered and saved from an attack by the Assyrians, but about a hundred years later, they were to be exiled into Babylon. When you open up Isaiah, you get to chapter one, and we see that Isaiah spanned the, the reign of four kings. If you flip over the page, you can see that four kings, Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah. So for his life of ministry spanned about 50 years, which was great. However, Isaiah prophesied about things that were way beyond his lifetime. And of course, he spoke about events that were way beyond even our lifetime, perhaps. Speaking of a time of future restoration, the promised people of God dwelling on a new, in a new heavens and a new earth. So just as the people in Isaiah's day were waiting for God to fulfill his promises and his judgments, so we too wait for God to fulfill his promises and his judgments. This morning we are in chapter 2. We're not looking at the typical Christmas passages of Isaiah this Christmas, but other ones, chapter 2, where we see this first glimpse of this future city in the last days. One theme that, that runs throughout the book of Isaiah is this idea of there being two cities, two peoples. One, the true people of God, those who love him and obey him, living with him in a perfect city. And one of a rebellious people who have disobeyed God, who suffer the consequences of his wrath and time without his blessing. And it seems as you get into Isaiah, that's the situation that Israel and Judah are finding themselves. They're, they're rebelling against God and living away from him. Chapter 1, verse 21. See how the faithful city has become a prostitute. She once was full of justice. Righteousness used to dwell in her, but now murderous. 
It's a summary of what has happened to God's people, that faithful people who once were supposed to be the, the light of the world, the light to the nations around them, living in obedience to their, to their gods. But now they're living in darkness, just like those around them. But we get to chapter 2, and we get to this wonderful picture of a, of a future city, a future place. Let's read it again together. Verse 2, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's temple will be established as the highest of mountains. It will be exalted above the hills, and all the nations will stream to it. Many peoples will come and say, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways so that we may walk in his paths. The law will go out from Zion, the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. He will judge between the nations and will settle disputes for many peoples. They will beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation will not take up sword against nation, nor will they train for war anymore. Come, descendants of Jacob, let us walk in the light of the Lord. So we read this wonderful picture of the ideal city, the future city, where God will reign, where the people are glad when people are excited to hear the word of the Lord and to obey it, a time when there will be no more war. And as you read that passage, and as you read other passages that speak about that last day, it warms your heart, doesn't it? I hope. But it also makes you think that we seem so, so far away from a day like that. It's so different from Isaiah's day as you read chapter 1 and, and later on in chapter 2, but also different from our day. When we think of this analogy of light and darkness, chapter 2 is this wonderful picture of light, a place full of light, surrounded by darkness. Darkness in the sense of much evil and war and pain and suffering and, and all of that, but also darkness in the sense of an absence of truth. People just don't understand. They don't accept the truth and they believe all sorts of other things that lead to confusion and destruction. We live in a culture here particularly that says there is no truth. But yeah, we also live in a world that is fighting against one another to defend their idea of what truth is. There is no one world ruler. There is, it's every man for themselves. There's no unifying worldview. People live and wander in darkness. And people re reject the truth of Jesus Christ when it's presented to them. Most of you will probably remember the 1999 film, The Matrix. In the film, Neo, who is a computer hacker, he has this gut feeling deep down inside of him that there's, there's something not right with the world. It's not as it should be. And he's searching, he's searching for what the answer is. And when Neo is unplugged from The Matrix, he learns that his whole life has, has been a lie. The matrix where he's been living, this false world that's been pulled over his eyes to hide him from the truth. The truth that the real world is ruled and controlled by the machines. 
they dominate. The world is not as it should be. There's a tension. There must be more than this, we often hear people say. Well, the matrix, it doesn't bring any good news. In the film, The Last Remaining Human City, the final city, the one making it stand against the much more powerful machines, well, it's ironically called Zion, Jerusalem. But that city is not standing high on a mountaintop on the earth's surface, proud and strong. It's buried deep beneath the earth's surface, near the core, where it's still warm. What is the future of this world? Well, it's not artificial intelligence. But it's a city, it's a world in Isaiah 2 language where a city that will be raised up, high, exalted, a place where God rules, a place where people are attracted to him to come to have life, to come and hear him. This mountain that is exalted high above all mountains, not in a literal sense, but in the sense that it will be high in authority and power and dominion and the rule of God. In ancient times, we know mountains were the home of the gods. That's where Zeus lived, Mount Olympus in Greek mythology. But even today, there are many religions and, and um, people who have spiritual beliefs that, that have sacred mountains dedicated to their gods. But this mountain, this mountain will be above and exalted above all mountains, and all nations will stream to it. Verse 3, come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the temple of God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways, so we may walk in his paths. A place where people will hear the word of the Lord, a place where people will accept the truth, and then we'll take it out. It will not only be proclaimed on this mountain, but it will fill the earth, and all nations will hear of this news. A place where God will rule, a place where his word will be heard, and a place where his word will be obeyed. There's wonderful words in, in verse 4. That he will judge between the nations and settle disputes. Swords and spears will be turned to pruning hooks and plowshares. And there will be no need for war, no need for an army. Weapons will be turned into things that will give life. We'll think a bit more about that next week. But it's a, it's a place that's very different from today, isn't it? The news is full of men dressed up in protective armor with guns walking around the streets, looking for other men who are, have guns and bombs. Isaiah presents the picture of a wonderful city, a place where the light of light shines brightly, and there is no more darkness. A place that I long for, a place that I pray for, do you long for it? A place where people will know the truth. Do you pray that people will come to see the truth for themselves? Well, when will this happen? When are these last days Isaiah is speaking of? One qualification as we think about how we interpret prophecy, hopefully will help us as we work through Isaiah this month, for the people in Isaiah's day, when they heard of the last days, they heard of all God was going to bring the, prophet, the future promises. They believed in a period where God would bring all this to be, of course. 
But they would see it as it all happening in, at about the same time, in the same place. When Jesus arrived, his disciples believed in him, and they said, is it now you're going to set up your kingdom? But Jesus said, no, that time is not yet. All prophecies will be fulfilled in the Messiah, but Jesus' first coming, that was about the cross. It was about dealing with sin. When he comes again, he will come and deal with judgment, and he'll set up his earthly kingdom. All things that are prophesied in the Old Testament, sometimes even in the same verses, fulfilled at different times. A helpful picture some people sometimes use is when you look at a mountain range, from a far distance, all the mountains look as if they are in, this, in the same place in one line. But as you get closer, you see that the mountains are far apart. And so too, as you read prophecy, we see all these things promised and, and given to us in the future. But as you get closer, as you see them being fulfilled, you realize that there are gaps and stages. And so some things were indeed fulfilled when Jesus came the first time. Wonderful prophecies we have in Isaiah about the coming of Jesus at the birth, famous ones that we know. And there are other prophecies that are yet to be fulfilled, that we look forward to, that we see and, and, and hope and pray for. But as we look and we see God fulfilling his promises, we can have confidence, knowing that he will complete all things on that final day. What about Isaiah 2? Have we seen any of this fulfilled yet? And I'm sure as we look at these verses and unpack their meaning, we'll see that we certainly haven't seen this in its completion. We don't live in a day where there is complete peace. We don't live in a day where everybody comes and hears the word of the Lord. We live very much in the opposite. Time of no war, well, even in the West, we don't have spears and swords anymore, but we still have guns and bombs. And so what Isaiah is seeing here is very much still in the future. But we, we get tasters of it. We get tasters of it as we look through church history. All prophecy is fulfilled in Christ, and it all starts with him. We capture a glimpse of that future day when we see the word of God being obeyed, when we see people coming to hear his word. You skip forward to the gospel accounts and you read of people coming to hear Jesus on speaking truth. People heard of him and they came from all over the land to hear about this great teacher. And of course, after his death and resurrection and his ascension, the apostles on the day of Pentecost, they're preaching to thousands of people, people who've come to celebrate Passover from all over the world. They've heard the word of the Lord and it's gone out it is spread throughout the world and even today throughout history the world the gospel has gone out it's it's come here it's gone around the world and back again people have heard it people have believed it the nations have come to christ when you hear of revivals it's great hearing those testimonies of how whole communities have been changed by the power of the gospel I remember watching a, a video of revival work that was going on in, in South America, testimonies that were being shared of how in one particular city, a city that was renowned for its evil and its crime and, and corruption and immorality, 
And the gospel went there and people were changed and saved. But not only that, the whole community was transformed. Prisons were emptied, crime went down, families transformed, darkness became light. It's a future city. We read about it, it's, it's not yet, but we get glimpses of it. And through the Lord Jesus, his work upon the cross, the gospel has gone out to all the world and people have responded to it. From Oxford, people have been changed and transformed from this city and have gone out around the world. Think of John Wesley and revivals in Britain, George Whitfield and revivals in North America. This gospel truth, this light, this word of the Lord that goes out makes a difference and changes lives. And so, so what about us? How does this future promise change the way that we live? How do we wait faithfully, patiently for the Lord? The difference between this world and the world of Isaiah 2 is painfully obvious. It's easy for us to get distracted by the darkness around us, to be blinded by it, to be overcome by it. The powers that are at work, those who rule over us now, we can become disillusioned. We can doubt, doubt the power of the gospel, doubt that it really can make a difference in people's lives. Or the promise of light, the promise of his presence, the promise of an absence of evil, well, as James said in his prayer, it seems like a far-off dream. But it's promised. And God always fulfills his promises. And so Isaiah says in verse 5, Come, come, descendants of Jacob, walk in the light of the Lord. So we, too, through Christ, descendants of Jacob, we come and walk in the light of the Lord. So how do we respond well, we can respond in, in, in confidence, in humble confidence, because it's true, because it will happen. God will bring these things to completion. One day, he, the Lord Jesus will return, and darkness will be no more, and there will be light. There will be new heavens and a new earth, where all those who trusted in Christ will dwell with him forever. An application that we'll bring out of, of all the passages we look at at Isaiah is, is just to, to look forward to it with great anticipation. The promises that will become true, God will bring them out. He always keeps his promises. The light of the Lord will shine. He's given us no reasons to doubt him. And if you have trusted in Christ, he's brought you out of the darkness and brought you into the light. We are citizens of that final place. That is where we will be forever. We looked at citizenship in Philippians a couple of weeks ago. Our citizenship is in heaven. That is where we belong, not here. Well, then secondly, we, we walk in the light of the Lord because it makes a difference. We walk in faithful obedience, walking in his path, knowing his ways, we live and we speak, and as we do that, we, we model. We model what that last day will be like 
for people who look upon us. Paul, when he teaches in, in Ephesians about living for Jesus, he speaks about walking in the light of the Lord. In Ephesians 5, let me read a few verses to you. For you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Live as children of light, for the fruit of the light consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. And find out what pleases the Lord. Have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness, but rather expose them. It is shameful even to mention what the disobedient do in secret. But everything exposed by the light becomes visible. Everything, is illuminate, everything that is illuminated becomes light. That is why it is said, wake up, sleeper. Rise from the dead and Christ will shine on you. As believers, as those who follow Jesus Christ, we are light in him. Lights in the world. So we live as children of light. And so as we live and as we speak, we make a difference as we shine in the darkness. I was hearing testimonies and stories last night of people who have been living as children of light in darkness. And people have been affected by the light because it's different. It's strange. They didn't understand it. And an opportunity to speak of Christ came in and people were changed and people have become Christians because of the light that has been shining in the darkness. Many will hate the light and flee from it, but many will be attracted to the light and will come in to it. So we must be confident, confident that the, the truth that will go out to the nations can make a difference, even in the deepest, darkest places. You may know the testimony of Nicky Cruz, that hardened gang leader in New York in the 1950s and 60s. A nasty piece of work, but amazingly transformed by the gospel as it was preached to him. A light that shone into the deep darkness of his heart. And he, he couldn't get away from it. He couldn't escape it as, as Christ spoke into his life. He and his friends, their lives were changed. One of them speaks of a time when they walked to the police station, all of them together, with their guns and their knives and their bricks, but not to attack the police station, but to hand them over. And the police were, were shocked, couldn't believe it. Are you a child of the light? Have you trusted in Jesus Christ? Jesus said in John 8, I am the light of the world. Anybody who comes to me will no longer walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. It is only in Christ that we can have life and light. The gospel is the only truth. That is why it will one day be high and exalted and lifted up, and every nation will come to it. The Lord Jesus one day will return and he will rule forevermore. His word will be proclaimed. We live in the times like the corrupt city of chapter one of Isaiah. But a day is coming where the wonderful promise of chapter two will come to be a reality. So 
So as we wait, as we wait for that day, let us wait not in despair, not in doubt, not in indifference, but let's wait in anticipation. Let's live as children of the light to make a difference in the darkness around us. Let's pray. We thank you, Heavenly Father, so much for these wonderful pictures that we have of that future day. A day that is sure and certain, that's fixed in your calendar, but a day that we wait for. Father, we thank you for the wonderful promises that it shows of what the day will be like and how so different it is from the darkness of today. But Lord, as we, as we look to your promises, as we see your faithfulness in how you've kept your promises throughout history, we can indeed be confident that you will fulfill your promises. That no matter how dark this world becomes, no matter how evil it is, no matter how far people stray from your truth and mock it and laugh at it and deny it, it is true and it will conquer and it will reign and it will come. And Lord Jesus, you will rule and you will reign forevermore. Help us to wait patiently, but to wait in anticipation. And so, therefore, making a difference in how we live our lives now. May we walk as children of the light, living in the light of the Lord, shining brightly as we follow your ways. And we pray these things for your kingdom, that your name will be exalted. Amen.